real estate is still a fairly safe investment. There is virtually no one who's predicting a crash in our market the way we saw in 08. Lenders have been incredibly strict about financing over the past few years. So we don't have a lot of risky loans in the market. We don't have a lot of fear of foreclosure because of our lack of inventory. So it's a pretty safe bet. Real estate has always been a pretty safe bet. And right now, I think people are really taking advantage of that. Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. Location, location, location. I know you've heard that before. It's all about real estate. And we have one of the top experts with us here today. Melissa Rubenstein is a graduate of Tufts University and Fordham University School of Law. But more importantly, for the past 18 years, she has been a real estate professional, understanding everything that you need to know about residential and commercial real estate here in New Jersey and in New York, but also has her thumb on the pulse of what is happening in real estate across the country. In fact, she is an expert also in divorce and works with many clients who are going through divorce, who are struggling with the questions about, do we sell the primary home? Do we sell the vacation home? Helping them be able to find the right price and get the best dollars they possibly can from a buyer. She goes through so much and has advice for those of you who have a vacation home that it may be time to put it on the market. But those that have a primary home, there are things to think about because the market definitely is softening, especially in certain price points of the market. She also talks about valuation issues and how you can stay on a rapidly changing market where the value of your home might be 20 or even 30% less a year ago than it is today. And make sure that you stay to the end because she talks about how to make sure there are no surprises in selling your home and how to get top dollar, giving you tools, techniques, and some savvy advice to make sure you make the best real estate decisions, not only for now, but for your future. So please help me welcome our fantastic guest, Melissa Rubenstein. Melissa, I'm so happy to have you here to talk about what is typically the largest asset of any divorcing couple, and that is real estate. And you are a real estate expert. So we have lots of questions for you today, but I just want to say first off, a great big welcome. We're so excited to have you here. Great. Thank you so much for having me. And I love talking about real estate. I know. Well, I love talking about real estate too, because, you know, it's where we live, but it's also an investment. Like I said, one of the biggest investments most of us have. And so I just want to kick it off with what's going on with the real estate market post COVID. Now the interest rates for mortgages are rising. Are you seeing some trends across the country? And if so, what are those? 
Sure. I'm definitely seeing general trends coming out of COVID. I guess we can take it back a little bit. First, when we were deep in COVID, we had interest rates that were two and a half, three percent historic lows, which was amazing because a lot of people were able to own homes. They were able to get into the market, buy their, especially their first home. But the result of that was that we ate up a lot of the inventory that was in the market. So now coming out of COVID, we've had record sales, record prices, but now we have exceptionally low inventory and we're coupling that with higher interest rates. Interest rates are now topping 6%, which is something that we haven't seen since prior to 08. So we're in a different environment. You would think that with rising interest rates, prices that have gone up 20 to 30% over the last two to three years, that we would have less demand in the market. But because of this extreme lack of inventory, we still have a ton of demand. So it's probably the most interesting market that I've ever seen. You bring up a good point. So, you know, we've seen over the last couple of years, overall housing prices go up 20 to 30%. Are you seeing some softening in prices that either sellers should be aware of or buyers take an opportunity? Yes. It's such, as I said, an interesting market because every price point and every home seems to be in their own situation. There aren't many generalized trends across price points. In luxury markets, we're seeing a little bit of softening. Whereas people were moving out of cities wanting 5,000 plus square feet for this very short amount of time, people are now going back into the office. They're commuting again. They're not spending quite as much time in their homes. So those huge homes are seeing a little bit of softening. Homes that are not move-in ready, that maybe need a lot of work, Mm -hmm. are not getting as many offers. Because now that people are spending 6% plus on their interest rate, they don't have the cash on hand to renovate the kitchen, the bathroom. Mm -hmm. That said, entry-level price points that are move-in ready, I'm still seeing bidding wars all over the place. So question that I have, and this is the million dollar question. If you're going through a divorce and we tend to work with a lot of clients who are in that luxury market and jump in, Melissa, when you say luxury, would you say that's like $3 million property and above or? No, I mean, I think it depends where you are in the country. country. I think the New York City, a metro area that I'm in, I'm seeing a softening above 1.2, above 1.5. So we're not talking mega luxury. We're just talking about maybe the top 10% of homes in your community are the ones that we're seeing a little bit of a softening on. So would you say for those couples going through divorce that it it might make sense to hang on to the primary home a little longer till the market comes back or are we not so sure it's going to come back? I'm not so sure it's going to come back. It's still there. It's just not at that, we called it the COVID bump of 20%. You may not be getting that 20 to 30% over that you were getting two years ago or even six months ago. So the market is still there if you price appropriately. I'm finding that it's homes that are really priced to that COVID price point are the ones that are sitting. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not just real estate that's gone up. We call about the COVID-19. I'm an overachiever. I gained the COVID-25. 
So it's not just the real estate. Although I'm going to share a big aha moment. So excited for the first time in two and a half years, I went back to a exercise spin class yesterday and it kicked my butt. That's awesome. That's amazing. I think a lot of people are doing that. That's why, you know, the Pelotons, the everything are now. That was something that I had for a while too during COVID. Everyone who walked through a house wanted to know where they were going to put their Peloton. Well, now that's over. Everyone wants to get back to the gym, back to running outside. So that was a big, and I can't tell you every single person I walked through with wanted to know where they were going to put their exercise equipment. Yeah. So unfortunately, we've put that in the past now. Yeah. Yeah. So you actually bring up a great point, Melissa. So with people coming back to the office, starting to do the commute, wanting to be out in the community more, when COVID first hit, we saw a huge flight out of large metropolitan areas to other parts of the country. And in particular, areas within two hours of commuting of a big city, seeing real skyrocketing prices. Are you seeing any reversal of that where people are starting to move back to the city, maybe even not buying, but renting for a little bit? I'm not seeing people move back, but I'm definitely, we have areas that are maybe about an hour and a half to two hours outside the city. They saw prices like we've never seen before in the more rural areas, because it was the type of area that if you had to go into the city, maybe once a month, twice a month, you could get there, but you're not going once or twice a week. People are no longer looking for the country home as their primary home or the beach house as their primary home. However, vacation homes are still incredibly hot. That market has not gone down at all. But people are looking at those properties maybe for the weekend, not as their primary home. So tell me about that. I think that's really interesting that the vacation home market, which a lot of our clients have vacation homes, and that's you know on the dock of do we keep the house in Napa? Do we keep the house down by the Jersey Shore or out in the Hamptons or at Nantucket? I was just at in Nantucket a couple of weeks ago and speaking to a gentleman who's who's been there 30 years. Right. And he said that he has never seen housing prices as high. And I love to look at real estate. So I just looked in the window. I always look in the window. Sure. Beautiful homes, but 4.5 million, 5 million, we're why still there, seeing those yeah, prices. Why, why is there such demand for vacation homes when we're seeing interest rates of like almost 6%? What I find with vacation homes, a lot of the luxury vacation homes are cash purchases. So people who are buying with cash, there's a lot of cash in the market right now. People did not vacation like they normally do. They didn't live their lives as they normally do for those two years during COVID. So there is cash in the market for people who want that second home, the luxury home. So your beach house, your country house is still going to command top dollar. That market hasn't really dropped. And the super luxury market hasn't really dropped. That three to five million plus, there are still people out there who want real estate and they have cash and they're not dependent on the high interest rates. Yeah, it's actually interesting. I was talking with a real estate agent up in Vermont that I've known for years and years, and we were purchasing our dream scheme home. Okay. And the seller was really quite frustrated with us, Melissa, because we had to get a mortgage. (laughs) 
And I will tell you, you know, I was talking to my real estate agent and I said, I just don't understand how he thinks we could afford this without some type of mortgage. And she said, you know what? The majority of the luxury homes here on the ski mountain are cash. I'm also seeing people do interesting things with financing, kind of non-traditional. They're going, they're borrowing against their investment accounts to get that lower rate. It's not that people aren't using their assets to the best of their ability. They're just not going through traditional financing. Let's talk about this. And this is something that I've been thinking about. And I want to write an article because in the past, it always made sense that if you were going to pay cash so that you are the top bidder, that you refinance and pull the money out because you could get such a low interest rate, maybe two and a half, two and a half, two and three quarter interest rate. And then you take the money, you don't spend it because then that equation doesn't work. You put it in the market and, you know, you look at, granted, the market's not doing so great now, but over the last 10 years, you would have easily doubled your money. Absolutely. That equation is a lot harder because if you're paying a 6% interest rate on that mortgage, then all of a sudden investing in the market isn't necessarily a layup as the better thing to do. No. And that's why we have a lot of cash buyers right now who are not refinancing. Because if you're going to pay cash for a house, exactly what you're saying, if you have to then refinance at a 6% rate, you're not really saving anything. And you're betting on your money, making more than that 6% return in the market. And that's not a sure thing these days. So it's a little bit of a tougher equation when you're talking about whether you're going to pay cash or whether you're going to go for a mortgage. I think that's why we're seeing a ton of cash buyers because real estate is still a fairly safe investment. There is virtually no one who's predicting a crash in our market the way we saw in 08. Lenders have been incredibly strict about financing over the past few years. So we don't have a lot of risky loans in the market. We don't have a lot of fear of foreclosure because of our lack of inventory. So it's a pretty safe bet. Real estate has always been a pretty safe bet. And right now, I think people are really taking advantage of that. So I 100% agree with you that real estate is a great long-term investment. That being said, there are some people that look at real estate for a quicker return, buying a house, renovating it, getting it up to snuff, putting it on the market. You know, we saw that the heyday of that coming up to 2008, where, you know, you could make 20, 30, 40% on your money. Are those opportunities still out there or is it too risky because the prices are so darn high? I'm not seeing that opportunity really out there at this point, not at prices the way they are right now. I think those houses that maybe need to be renovated they're at a price point where investors are competing against first-time home buyers. And on the flip side, we do have first-time home buyers who are competing against investors. So I'm not seeing many deals out there right now. Now, if rates continue to go up over time, if we have more inventory, we might have those deals. But mm-hmm. now is not really a flipper's market because when you flip a house, it's agents' fees, closing fees, attorney's fees. You have to take all of that into account and the margins just don't seem to be there right now. Yeah. And talking about investing, you know, we do a lot of analysis on the actual 
ROI, return on investment uh, for those renting out properties. And looking at in the scenario of keeping the home versus versus selling versus renting it out for an income, it's interesting because when we look at the actual income, let's say it's $10,000 a month, and we take out what they're paying towards the mortgage, property taxes, maintenance, upkeep, and then the opportunity cost of that money working in the stock market for them. It's interesting because what looks like a $10,000 a month, this is a great, great deal. We see losses. So I love that you're talking about with the you know flipping, that you really look at all the costs because at the end of the day, those costs really will eat into your return and it may not be the best place or the best use of your money and and your effort. Absolutely. I'm sure you know in our part of the country in the New York, New Jersey area, because property taxes are so high, your return on investment, even when you're talking about a rental property, you're probably talking about three to 5%. My investors are always looking for that kind of golden egg of eight to 10%, but that's really difficult to come by. What I am seeing, though, is if people are locked into a 2.5% interest rate and you can capitalize on what are extremely high rental prices right now, those are the people who might consider keeping the home. And especially if it's a vacation property, a beach house, that's where you're really going to get the return, where you've already locked into that interest rate and you're getting the newer, higher rental rates because as quickly as the home values went up, rental rates have gone up even higher in the city, out in the suburbs, everywhere. We're seeing a good 30% bump in rental rates, which is also spilling over into our first-time home buyers who are saying, okay, my rent of 3500 is now 5000 I need to buy a house. Mm-hmm. That's why we still have the demand there. Yeah, it, it's really interesting. You know, we've seen that all across the country where clients of ours who sold the primary home from their marriage, split the proceeds between them and their ex-spouse, and now are renting, that during COVID, there were great deals to be had. And now, two years later, seeing hikes of 10, 20, 30% increases, and we didn't account for that in their financial plan. And so having to you know, really look right. at the situation with fresh eyes of, does this make sense? Do we buy? Do we buy? somewhere outside a city that might be a little less expensive with regards to the price per square foot, property taxes and upkeep. A lot of things that are really coming into to play now. There are so many different factors. When rates were two and a half to three percent, money was almost free. You could bid up, you could be in bidding wars, you could really pay whatever you wanted to for that dream house. Now we have to look at everything. We have to look at the property taxes, the interest rate, the work that needs to go into a house. Inspection issues are coming up a lot more now with the higher prices and the higher interest rate. What people used to just take as as a given that they were going to have to replace a furnace, do a roof, the normal things when you buy a house that you take into account. Now we're really scrutinizing those things and saying, okay, we need to be paying the exact right price if we have six or $7,000 off the bat in things that need to be replaced. So there are a lot more different factors that we're looking at now that rates are so high. Yeah. So talking about, especially because our, our clients here are going through divorce or 
towards the tail end or even thinking about it, if it becomes really apparent that keeping the primary home is not the right thing financially for you, what are some of the options that a couple has? And for listing that property, how do they get the best dollar for the highest number of dollars for the actual property itself? Kind of taking it back, if one spouse wants to be out of the house, out of the mortgage, then the first thing that I would consider would be, can the spouse who wants to stay in the house, can they afford to buy it out from their spouse, be on the mortgage? And that's that's a pretty big conversation that I like to have with people really, really early on. Something that I actually did myself in my own divorce, and I did a rate and term mortgage and an equity buyout. There are very specific products that you can use in divorce that allow you to accomplish this at a lower interest rate. There are no tax consequences of selling the home. So if someone wants to stay in the house, I would encourage them to speak with a certified divorce lender and see if they can qualify. What many divorcing spouses don't know is that not only do you need the cash to buy out the spouse who's leaving, you also need to be able to qualify for your mortgage. So a lot of people I talk to say, okay, well, I can buy them out. We have enough in our stock portfolio, or I have the cash, or somebody can help me out, and I can buy out my spouse. Great. I can get my mortgage. I can afford my monthly payments. I'll stay in my house. Except if that spouse is not working, or if they don't have the income, they may not qualify for their mortgage. And generally, they're going to need six months of alimony payments or six months of being able to show pay stubs to be able to qualify for their mortgage. That's kind of the first conversation that I tend to have with people so that they have all of that information going into the decision of whether to sell or not to sell. Let's say they've decided that selling is the best option for them. The first thing I like to do is to have a pre-listing inspection. So. Everyone knows that when you buy a house, you negotiate your price, then you have your inspection. It's what 99% of people do. But in a divorcing situation, I like to have all of the information up front so that there are no surprises. Because I'm sure, as you know, in divorce, surprises are not a great thing. So I like to do a pre-listing inspection so that we can know all of the bumps in the road. And we can negotiate that beforehand, before we bring in a buyer, because having two sellers negotiate inspection items is a lot easier than having two sellers who may or not, may not be communicating, plus a buyer trying to negotiate inspection items. So we do our pre-listing inspection. We know, are we going to need a new roof? Are we going to need a new AC unit? Just cosmetically, what do we want to fix up? because these things all cost money and Mm -hmm. the divorcing spouses need to be on the same page about what money is going to go into the house before we list it. It's a rare situation where you have a house that doesn't need anything to go on the market. And Melissa, does that inspection have to be shared with potential buyers? Can that just be for the sellers? It can be just for the sellers. Now, if there are material defects, you may have to disclose them, especially if you're doing a seller's disclosure. So yes, if you find something out material about your house and you're not planning on fixing it, you would have to disclose it. 
everyone's doing an inspection. There was a time during COVID where people waived inspections, waived appraisals. No one is doing that anymore. Mm -hmm. That's a Mm -hmm. thing of the past. So for me, I'd rather know up front whether there's a defect that we're going to have to end up fixing so that we can decide what to do about it before we Mm -hmm. lose a potential buyer. Once you've done that, how do you get top dollar? Because I know that there's a myth, and maybe this is true or not, but if a buyer knows that the seller is going through a divorce, they smell desperation. Desperation, or they, that's right? what they think. And I have to say, when I'm going through houses with buyers, they are always trying to figure out, I think just out of human curiosity, well, what's the situation here? Why are they moving? Do they have kids that are going away to college? And that's what they're downsizing. Are they going through a divorce? You know, Are they relocating? Everyone yeah. wants to guess. You know, I think that's sort of a we're curious. Hunt. It's a house hunters HGTV phenomenon. You're used to watching people walk through houses and guess yeah. about everything. But I personally like to stage a house to not have that be apparent. So yeah. if one spouse has moved out, we stage the closets to appear as there are both spouses living in the house. I think that's pretty important because. Yeah. I want buyers to fall in love with the house and not take into account any kind of personal situation. When I'm staging, I really do strip a house of most personal items, Uh photographs of your kids, wedding photographs. I remove most of it because I want the house to tell the story of the new owners. I want them to be able to picture them living there. I don't want it to necessarily tell the story of the people who are leaving. Yeah, nail on the head. And I want to make sure we get to another topic that's really important in this very fast moving, changing market. How do you deal with the issue of valuation? And I'm working on this in one of my cases right now where there were three valuations done, each one about six months apart. And the difference between the lowest and the highest is $600,000. I'm not surprised. Valuation is one of the most interesting thing, if not the most interesting thing that I'm dealing with right now. The hardest point in valuation was actually when prices started to really pop maybe a year ago, because when an appraiser comes to appraise, they're looking at six months of comparables. So when prices first started to pop, we weren't getting the appraised value that the bank needed because our comparables were all lower. Now it's a bit easier for the appraisers because we have this six months to a year of higher prices. So at least I have comparables to look at. So the appraisal issue isn't a big deal. It's the listing price because our market is so sensitive right now. And if you list it slightly below to market, you're going to get offers. If you list it 10%, 5 to 10% above what the market considers to be the value, you're going to sit. And I'm watching this with homes in very similar price points where some are selling right away, some are sitting for two months. And it's really looking at the most, not only the most recent sales, because sales tend to lag 60 days behind the accepted offer. So even those 60 days, things have changed so drastically. I'm looking what's currently on the market. How fast have they gotten an accepted offer? So if you're priced at 
a million five, your comparable was priced at a million four, they got an offer accepted within the first three days. We're going to want to really look at that one million four number and not list it at a million six because a million six, you may be sitting for the next two or three months. So we're not looking at sold data as much as what's happening in the two to three weeks prior to listing. So that sensitive. Yeah. So I have two questions. The first one is, is back to that appraisal. Is it better to have a formal appraisal by an appraiser or a real estate agent? So that's the first question. And then the second question that's the follow-up is, can the selling price be drastically different than the appraisal? I'd say to the first point, I would rather have a real estate agent who's on the ground in your neighborhood valuing your property. Because kind of like I was saying, we're looking at things that happened yesterday. I'm looking at houses that went on the market in the last week. What's gotten an accepted offer in the last yeah. two weeks? An appraiser is six are, months, right? They're looking at six months and they don't care whether the sale was six. And a sale six months ago could have been an accepted offer nine months ago. So they're really not looking at real-time data. I'm looking at up-to-the-minute data of what's listing. I look through the MLS every day, and I see what's actually listing and what's getting accepted offers within the last 24 hours. And that's how we're valuing houses right now. Yep. Makes sense. Makes sense. And then have you seen a big difference between what the appraisal value from an appraiser came back with versus what a house went on the market for and what the accepted offer ended up being? So I would say yes in the beginning of the price bump. So in that early 2022, late 2021, we were seeing such crazy bidding wars that appraised value could have been 20% lower than what the actual purchase price was. Now, of course, the bank will only lend on the appraised value. So people were coming up with cash to make up the difference. We're not seeing that much anymore. As I said, appraised values have gone up so much. They've caught up with the market. So I'm seeing people not only not waive the appraisal, but they're really sticking to that appraised value. They do not want to feel like they're overpaying for a house anymore. It's the difference of having a 2.5% interest rate versus a 6% interest rate. You know, that appraised value is really important when you do go get the mortgage because we had this happen I don't think it's happening as much now as it was during that really crazy bump time where properties were appraising well below what the sale price was. And then if you're trying to get a mortgage on the sales price, the bank's not going to be so happy. Right. And that was really affecting my first time home buyers who tend to really need to stick with the amount that the bank lends. When you have people who are trading up, people who are going to that vacation home, people with more of a high net worth. They could kick in the cash. They can refi later because now they could probably refi and cover the whole purchase price. But during that time when appraisals were particularly low, people had to put in a lot of cash and it really did hurt my entry level buyers the most because they are the ones who are maybe they're only putting down 10% and they need the bank to come in with that appraised value. Yeah. This has been so enlightening. We've gone through. Market trends. <laughs> what to do? There's if you so have much a vac- to cover. <laughs> what you what to do if you have a vacation home versus your primary home? How to deal with valuation issues and in such a fast changing market? The difference between working with an appraiser versus a real estate agent for getting that real value of what things are going to go on for the market. 
This has been fantastic. And I really just want to say a sincere thank you to you, Melissa, because you've also made this very digestible and also been able to address our entire listener base. Because yes, we have a good number of people here on the East Coast, but we have people tuning into Financially Ever After all over the United States. And you've made it relevant, helpful, and very informative where everyone, you know, wherever they're living. And I'm from Michigan and I grew up all surrounded by farm fields and my neighbors would really appreciate this information. And someone who's living in essentially LA, also a lot of great, great detail and information, especially for going through divorce where the stakes are even higher. Sure. And there's a lot about real estate that's just absolutely universal. And then the great thing is you have realtors in every single town, state in the country who are on the ground, who know their markets the best, who can give fantastic advice and guide people through the process. That's my favorite part of this business is taking people and advocating and being there for them through every single step of the process. Well, you just had the perfect segue, Melissa. How do our listeners reach out to you and find out a little bit more about how to work with you? And you're working in New Jersey and New York. Is that right? Sure. I am based in Bergen County, New Jersey, but I work throughout New Jersey and New York. I believe you're going to give your listeners my email address and telephone number. And I'm always happy for people who are just at the beginning stages or any stage in their real estate journey to give them advice, uh, have a consultation. I love talking to people. And as you can tell, I love talking about real estate. Yeah, this was a ball. And I just want to say thank you so much for sharing this information. For all of you listening here today in the show notes, we will have, as Melissa mentioned, not only her email, but also her phone number. And we'll include a couple handy dandy mortgage calculators just to see, number one, what are the rates now? Because they've changed so much. And what would you be qualified for? What would that look like for you? So we'll add some great resources in there. And thank you so much for coming and joining us today, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. I loved being here. Thank you for listening to Financially Ever After. I have to tell you that half hour flew by and the volume of information that Melissa was able to share is truly life-changing. We all know that in divorce, one of the biggest, most contentious pieces of negotiation is all around the real estate, whether it's a primary home, a vacation home, a commercial real estate property that you're renting out to a tenant. So many things that go into play with that. And if you have questions about the financial end of that, I encourage you to reach out to me here at Francis Financial. You see, we are experts in the area of divorce. We have six certified divorce financial analysts here on staff, more than pretty much any other firm of our size across the country and well known for our expertise in this area. We can run the different scenarios of buying out your spouse, selling the property, buying a new property, keeping the property and renting it out and taking into account all the considerations that need to be thought about that you may not know. So make sure you don't make any real estate, any divorce mistakes. We're here to help and support. So please reach out to me, Stacy at FrancisFinancial.com. You can visit our website. We have a wealth of information that will be helpful for you. 
at www.francisfinancial.com. Thanks for joining us at Financially Ever After. We'll be seeing you in two short weeks.